Welcome to the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Get in on the conversation. Call 1-877-669-1292. And I'm Howie Silbiger. This is the Howie Silbiger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Thank you so much for joining me. I do appreciate you being here. You could call in, number to call, 1-877-669-1292. That's 1-877-669-1292. One day I'll remember these numbers. 1-877-669-1292. Feel free to call in and join me in conversation here on the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. The Howie Silberger Show is heard every night of the week, Monday to Thursday, at uh, 10 p.m., 10 to 11 p.m., right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Uh, TrueTalkRadio.com is the official site of the Howie Silberger Show, where you can hear the Howie Silberger Show and a whole lot more. In fact, TrueTalkRadio.com has a full, a full, 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 full list of um, uh, of shows that play on TrueTalkRadio.com. A lot of interesting stuff. Feel free to check out the schedule on TrueTalkRadio.com. And, of course, you can download our app. Our app is available on the uh, App Store, the iPhone App Store and the Android App Store. It's available. Uh, so just go and look for the app, the True Talk Radio Network app. It's there on the App Store. Feel free to download it and be part of the True Talk Radio experience. I do the uh, show every every night. And, um, and those of you watching on social media, the show airs on the True Talk Radio Network app and on truetalkradio.com. And those of you watching on the on social media, see see me and, and you know there's a camera right in front of me and uh, and it kind of I, I kind of podcast on social media too. I think six or seven or eight social media networks carry the show. We we stream to six or seven or eight social media networks, and uh, I get I get a lot of emails and, and some of the emails and some of the messages I get uh, Facebook messages messages on YouTube all sorts of messages everywhere. Uh, some of the messages I get ask the same question. They say, hey, Howie, when we're watching you on uh, social media, sometimes you're not even looking at the camera. So, you know, when we watch TV, the presenter is always looking at the camera and sometimes you're not looking at the camera. And we, we wonder, why are you not looking at the camera? What are you doing that is more important than paying attention to us? And the truth is that uh, that that sometimes I don't look at the camera because this is really a radio show that we're streaming on uh, on the net. Uh, I don't consider this a um I don't consider this a TV show. So I, I'm not I'm not so concerned about having a teleprompter under a TV show and um and, and watching the and and looking like one of those TV presenters. I I'm not trying to be a TV presenter. You could see just by the way I dress when I do the show that uh, I'm not trying to be a TV presenter. I'm a radio talk show host. And, and so I do this show for radio, uh, and we air it on social media, and uh, we have a camera running. But but in reality, it's to me, it's more of a radio show than it's a TV show. Otherwise, I'd be showing you clips, and uh, I do sometimes. But oh, I'd be showing you clips, and I'd be um, and I'd be talking about uh, about stuff uh, that 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 would be more visual than audio. So if you're watching the show, uh, the audio is actually more important than the video than the video because you'll just be watching me talk, and that's that's fine. You could do that if that's what floats your boat. Um, but listening to the show is is a lot more important than uh, than than seeing what I'm doing or, or or understanding what I'm doing. So so that said, 
So I just want to explain that to you because uh, I, know, I know a lot of people have sent me messages saying, Howie, you have to look at us when you're when you're talking to us. And um, and that's not really what I would what I what I do here. Um, I'm, a, I'm a one man show. I run the studio. And so sometimes I have to look away in order to get something running or to make sure something's running or to make sure things are running properly. So there you go. That, that's the reason. So I'm just I'm just explaining to you so you understand. That is the reason why I'm not always looking at the camera when I do the show. one 1292 is the number to call. one 1292 Years ago, there were a couple of teachers in the in the western part of Canada that were denying the Holocaust in classrooms. And I found it interesting. A guy, I found it interesting. I'm not going to name them here. I mean, I could name them. I, I met I met both of them over the course of time, and I could name them. But uh, what's the point? If you want to find out who they are, just Google them. Uh, and and what amazes me is that they got away with teaching anti teaching Holocaust studies, and teaching that the Holocaust was a myth and the Holocaust didn't happen, uh, in public schools, for years before anybody noticed. Uh, I I don't know how that happens. I don't know how somebody could teach in a classroom, some vile stuff, some some absolutely horrific stuff. Denying that Jews were murdered in the Holocaust, denying that the Nazis had a plan to exterminate the Jewish people. And they get away with it. They could do this in a in a in a classroom, in a closed school, in a in a school classroom, and get away with it with nobody complaining and nobody uh, and nobody stopping them. It's shocking to me. But then I start thinking about the state of education in general. Now I'm um, I, I'm a high school, I'm a I'm an elementary school principal and a high school teacher. I, I teach high school students and I and I'm principal of an elementary school. Anybody who's looked me up on uh, on any <laughs> on, online knows that I, that that this is what I do. This is what I do for a living. This is how I make my money. I do not make my money doing this show. That's that's for sure. But I do make my money being a a teacher. And a, a teacher and a principal of an elementary school. And, and as a principal of an elementary school, I find that I am I feel responsible, personally responsible for the material that the students learn. So what I do is I, I sit with teachers on a regular basis and we discuss what they are teaching in the class. And I sit with students and I talk to the students, I talk to the teachers, and I understand what's happening in all the classrooms in my school. It is the only way that I can manage the school properly and to ensure that the children who are coming to the school, the students coming to the school, are getting a proper education. So do I blame a teacher who's teaching Holocaust denial in a school? Do I blame the teacher or do I blame the administration? That is the question. Now, for years, I believed that you, you, could, you should blame the teacher. The teacher got there. The teacher was a Jew hater. The teacher got into the school. And we have to blame the teacher for everything he did, for everything he taught. And the kids, the poor kids, uh, for years, I believed that. But I, as I got into administration of schools and as I understood how the school system works, it is more the administrator's fault than it is the teacher's fault. So guys who who were caught, these two guys who were caught teaching anti anti um, Holocaust Holocaust denial in schools, these two guys 
they they were vilified by the Jewish community. I remember that uh, I I went I I I was at meetings. I was at private meetings, where where these guys were vilified, and then I I met I met their lawyer and I met them, and I had an opportunity to discuss it with them, and, and I realized that the um, that they would have never gotten away with what they were doing if the administration didn't let them do it. So. So uh, David just just uh, posted up on uh, on Facebook that you you can blame both. Teachers don't always have to follow the administration, but the administration has to be counted as well. I agree, I agree. So so the teacher has to be able to teach this, and the administration has to be able to allow the teacher to teach this. And in either case, in either case, they're both wrong. So my my question is, and and, and has been for for multiple years now, why were these two men vilified? When, when the administration got away scot-free. Now, now this question came up uh, in my mind again. I, I normally don't think about these two guys. Once they were, once they were tried, they, one of them was acquitted, one of them was convicted. Once they were tried and, uh, and done with, I, um, I just kind of forgot about it. Uh, until I saw this article in the Canadian Jewish News. Yes, that, that publication still somehow exists. I, I don't know how. It still exists. There's an uh, online site called the Canadian Jewish News. It's it's run by the people who used to run the uh, the newspaper that went bankrupt twice, and uh, they ran a they ran an article, or at least they did a podcast called "What Happened When Jewish Summer Campers Faced Holocaust Deniers." Um, one of the Holocaust deniers on, on the basketball court. A new graphic novel tells the tale. So th- so somebody actually put together a graphic novel about kids who met a Holocaust denier. It, it, I'm, I'm not publicizing this. They don't pay me to, to, to publicize this, and I'm really not interested in publicizing it. But I just find it an interesting concept that somebody put together a cartoon book to discuss, to discuss the, the Jewish, Jewish student's reaction to meeting a, uh, a Holocaust denier. It's interesting. My, action, my reaction, by the way, when I met, the, uh, when I met these two gentlemen... Who, um, who were denying the Holocaust and teaching children that the Holocaust never happened. Uh, when, I, when I met these two guys and uh, I got to sit down and have a face-to-face with them, uh, the first one I spoke to, which was the, uh, the second guy who was caught, so there was, a, there was one guy caught and a couple of years later there was another guy caught. So I, I spoke to the second guy caught first. And when I sat down to talk to him, I just looked at him and I said, what were you thinking? And, and he said to me, what do you mean? And I said, I, I just don't understand why you would have done this. So, so I can understand, and I, 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 could, I could even accept to a certain extent, that you do not believe the Holocaust happened. Fine. I could accept to a certain extent that there are some people who are deluded enough to believe that an actual event didn't actually happen. It's, it's not beyond my realm of under, it's not beyond, beyond my realm of believability that there could be people out there who deny reality. <laughs> Just look at the world today. We have thousands, if not millions, of people who are denying reality today. So, so back then, I, I, I was able to accept back then that there was always a segment of population that's going to deny reality, always a segment of population who's going to say everything's a conspiracy theory, always a segment of population who's going to say that people are, people are fakes and people are actors and that this never really happened. I, I could accept that, and I could accept the fact that there are crazies out there that will believe stuff like this. This doesn't bother me at all. I said, but what were you thinking about teaching children that? You know, you know, children at a certain age take their teachers very seriously. 
Now, now, there's a lot of children who don't like school and a lot of children who don't take school very seriously. But at a certain age, at a certain impressionable age, children take whatever the teacher says extremely seriously. And it is a colossal responsibility for any teacher that gets in front of a classroom full of children to give them the truth, or, or at least a version of the truth. There's no real truth. We, we, we know this. Anyone who's listened to the show for a long time knows that there's, the, uh, there's your side, my side, and then what really happened. And you know, if you have to take your side, and have to take my side to try to figure out what really happened. But, but a teacher has to try to be as objective as possible to, 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 to give the, the student the truth, or, or at least a variation of the truth. And, and when, the, when the teacher fails to do that, then we have a generation of students that grow up with a misconception about what reality is. And if you look around the world, you can see the results of that. Look across North America, look across Europe, you see the results of that. And of course, this continues throughout higher education. Now, I, I told you a long time ago, uh, we, we spoke about uh, higher education and why higher education is like this. It's, um, it is like this uh, because it was planned to be like this. There was a uh, professor named Yuri Bezmenov. Now, if you've never heard of Yuri Bezmenov, uh, he was a professor who died uh, in, in 1993. He was 53 years old when he died. He died in Windsor, Ontario. He was a former KGB agent, um, and he was a journalist for the Soviet Norvosky Press Agency. And um, he, 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 uh, he ran away from, um, from Russia and defected to Canada, and then started revealing the Russian plan to take over Canada and to take over North America. The Russians had a, a set plan, and part of that plan was to take over the universities and change the way universities taught students. So if you rip out society from the inside, is basically what it was claiming, if you rip out society from the inside and, and you destroy it through its educational system, then society, a Western way of life, uh, capitalism, has no way of surviving. I, I encourage you. I encourage you, if you, if you have the time, I really encourage you to look him up on YouTube, Yuri Bezmenov. Look him up on YouTube and watch his video, The Four Stages of Destabilizing, uh, Destabilizing the West. It is a fascinating watch. Whether you believe it or not, it's a fascinating watch, and you could see the results of what he, ha what he said. You can see the results of what he said in what's happening today. It is, is absolutely mind-blowing when you watch this video. So, so check out the full interview with Yuri Bezmenov uh, on YouTube. Just check it out because you're not going to be disappointed. The interview is from 1984, but it's still extremely relevant today. It's unbelievably relevant today. And if you want to understand what's happening around the world, you want to understand how, what this whole woke society is about. You want to understand why suddenly it's, it's, suddenly it's a thing for transgender people and cross-dressers to be reading to children. And, and you want to understand why the, there is no morals in society today. Check out that interview. Uh, David writes, University professors wield plenty of power and have tremendous influence on students. Universities do not vet what professors say in class unless it's racist or anti-gay. Anti-Semitism does not count in universities. And uh, you are 100% right. And I, I, I tell the story often about my uh, experience in university just, uh, just a couple of years ago, where, where, university, where a university professor, a lecturer at university, 
uh, told us it was a safe room where we couldn't talk about gender and we couldn't talk about uh, we couldn't talk about um, gender. We couldn't uh, we couldn't talk about religion. We couldn't talk about anything. Uh, but then wanted to talk about feminist uh, feminist literature. So there's no gender, but there's feminist literature. So so yeah, you're 100 percent right. Universities are a big problem, and and universities are a problem by design. The uh, the the universities decided that they wanted to change the way the world ran, and the only way to do that is through education. You start in the high schools, then you you work your way up to the universities, and by the time these children, the the university students, the leaders of tomorrow graduate, they're already indoctrinated with this 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 crazy ideology that they have to destroy Western society. I had a couple of friends who went to university. Um, went to university and then came out as radical left wingers. I went to university. They tried to they tried to indoctrinate me. It, it was interesting because um I, I'm pretty strong willed and uh I, I don't get indoctrinated very easily. And so I went to when I, when I was in university, uh one of the um socialist groups asked me to join their group. And as a lark I joined their group because it, it was just fun. And I went to their meetings and I listened to them uh, crying and uh, and bemoaning capitalism and the western way of life saying that you know it's not fair there's poverty and and if the rich if the one percent just shared their wealth with the 99 percent then maybe just maybe maybe we could all live in some kind of utopian world where we all share the wealth and the workers make what the bosses make and the bosses make what the workers make and everybody is happy and after three or four meetings of this, I, I looked at him. I said to him, uh, do you not remember Bolshevik Russia? I mean, the USSR didn't disintegrate that many years ago. Now, maybe you don't remember them, I said to them, because this was, this was quite a few years after the disintegration of the USSR. I said, maybe you don't remember the USSR. But the model did not work. It didn't work for, for two reasons. Number one, People feel that they have a value. And if they're doing a job, that job has an intricate value. And so when you tell people that they're going to work hard, work from 8 o'clock in the morning till 8 o'clock at night, and that the salary that they're going to get for working from 8 o'clock in the morning to 8 o'clock at night is the same salary that somebody else is getting for doing a job that runs from 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock in the evening because everybody's equal, so everybody gets the same amount of money, then you are not going to have very much productivity out of your employees. And that's basically what happened in the USSR. Employees were not productive. All companies were owned by the government, and everybody made the same salary regardless of what job you were making. Nobody, nobody was innovative. Nobody was using their brains to do anything. It was all just rote, and it was all just waste. And, and people showed up to work every single day because they had to show up to work every single day. If they wanted to get their portion of the, of the loot... They had to show up every single day. And, 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 and on top of all that, on top of all that, the rich got richer because this is the system. You have to send all the money goes to, to a certain group of people, and that certain group of people control all the money. And if they control all the money, then they choose how much of that money, what percentage of that money gets redistributed to the masses. And so, you know, if, if, if they choose 10% and 90% goes into their pocket, who's going to know the difference? So people in Russia were starving. 
because the top, the, the management, the top heavy people were taking all the money and everybody else was starving. So that's the utopia that you want? I'm sorry, I don't want to live like that. Now, if, we were, if, if I was in this group today, I would point to Venezuela. It's just a simple, a simple thing. Venezuela was a, was a beautiful country who was, who was a huge GDP leader in, in the Americas and is now a, a, a hellhole that nobody wants to live in. Now, that the people living there are starving and, and, and dying because communism took over. So communism, we know, doesn't work. Canada is a socialist country. It's communism light. We take the best parts of communism and the best parts of capitalism and we merge them together and see what we could get. It doesn't really work either. As you could see, because we have a parliamentary system and a socialist system, and you take a look at what's, what's happening in, today in Canada, you could see the formation right now of a dictatorship. It's starting to happen. So, so we just have to look at a couple of incidents to understand what kind of dictatorship Canada is becoming. And our dictator, Justin Trudeau, is, is becoming more and more powerful and more and more omnipresent. And we just have to understand where that's going. And I know I have friends who are members of parliament and I have friends who, uh, who, who watch the show and listen to the show who, who disagree vehemently with what I'm saying. And that's fine. But but this is my political analyst, uh, my political analyst uh, analyzm, and uh, I, I'm entitled to my opinion. So if you if you don't like it, that's fine. Uh, I have I have no problems with that. You don't like it, you could call in, you could talk to me one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two, or or you could just uh, you know click me off. That's fine too. Either way, I, I don't care. So if we take a look at Canada. There's just two things that you have to look at Canada to understand what kind of dictatorship Canada is under. And then you can look at Quebec, because we live in Quebec. You can look at Quebec, at least I live in Quebec. You can look at Quebec and understand that Quebec is becoming a dictatorship within Canada. So the first thing you can look at in Canada, the first signs that Canada is becoming a dictatorship, is the way that Justin Trudeau dealt with the truckers in Ottawa. So a group of truckers decided that they were going to protest COVID regulations and that, that directly affected them and their trucks and, and, and their way to get into Canada. Their livelihood. And, and the government was interfering with their livelihood. And so they decided to protest it. So how do truckers protest something? They take their trucks, they block off roads. It is the best way to protest something for truckers. They have a lot of power with those trucks. Uh, I remember years ago, I got stuck in a, a huge traffic jam because a bunch of truckers were decided to, they were protesting something and they were driving very slowly down the highway and you couldn't get around them. They took up two lanes, three lanes, three trucks, driving at 10 kilometers an hour down the highway. You couldn't get around them, so you're stuck behind them. So, so that kind of protest really grabs people's attention immediately because it's inconvenient. And people don't like to be inconvenient, so they get upset and they get angry. So these truckers decided to park up uh, Ottawa, to block all the streets off in Ottawa. All right, we live in a free country, a free democratic country. At least we thought we did. And so the truckers thought that they had a democratic right, which they should have had in Canada, to protest the government, to say, hey, we don't agree with you. And so this was a little bit of civil unrest, and, and, and they went and they protested. So the government tried, didn't even try to negotiate with them. They, they warned them. They warned them a second time, and then they sent the army in 
they 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 put in the the War Measures Act. It's called the Emergencies Act now. It's actually the War Measures Act, just renamed. They put in the War Measures Act and sent the army in to go and dismantle the truckers' protest. They arrested the truckers. They confiscated their vehicles. They froze their bank accounts. And they took their dogs away and had them euthanized. They took their children and gave them to Child Protective Services. And they threw the truckers into jail. Now, if that doesn't sound like a dictatorship to you, then you don't know what a dictatorship is. You've never, you've never, you've never heard of a dictatorship. You've never, you've never read up on dictatorship. You've never learned about dictatorships. Somebody opposed the government. They stood and they opposed the government. And then the government came and arrested them, put them into the gulag, took their livelihoods away, took their lives away, killed their animals. This is the free and democratic country that we live in? This is acceptable behavior from our government? And you look at the propaganda that's put out by the MPs that are, that are lapdogs to Trudeau, and you wonder, what is going on? MP Anthony Housefather, who is, uh, who is an MP in Montreal, he used a picture, one solitary picture, of a truck with a Nazi flag hanging out the window. One solitary picture of one truck with a Nazi flag hanging out the window. And he painted all the truckers as Nazis. And he demanded that we should accept the fact that the government has to remove Nazis from our midst. Now, I could tell you, and uh, I, I could tell you this 190%, that if you get a group of people together, 500, 600,000 people together, you will find people of varying, no, it doesn't matter what the issue is, you will find people of varying opinions in that group. You'll find people on the extremes of both sides. You'll find people in the center. And it's quite possible that you'll find radicals, crazy radicals, that are willing to do crazy things, they're willing to fly crazy flags. That is quite possible. And it's quite probable, actually. It's not even possible. It's probable that in any group of people, of, of multiple thousands of people, you're going to find that. So to single out one truck or one person in a crowd and say that person is representative of the entire group of people that are there is not only disingenuine, but it's morally wrong. And I'll tell you why it's morally wrong. Because if we did that in any other situation, a black guy goes into a store and robs a store, so all black people are now thieves. A Jewish guy walks into a bank, and, and the banker makes a mistake and, and, takes, and, and gives the Jewish guy extra money, and he doesn't return the money, then all Jews are, are, are bank frauders. If we start doing that, if we start taking the example of our government and, and, and painting an entire group of people based on the actions of one person, then we become racists. We become haters. Now, if we're supposed to use our government as the moral compass for the country, then the Trudeau government 
really has failed us. Now, they got reelected. I know after that they got reelected, which is, which is scary to me. That they, they got reelected, all their MPs got reelected. It's, it's, it's awfully scary to me that we accepted this totalitarianism in Canada. And we've accepted the fact that we, the people of Canada, now have no say in how our government acts. If we want to protest the government, the government has already set the precedent that they could come and crush us for protesting them. Accept our opinion, accept our viewpoint, or we will crush you, is what the government said. And they proved it by crushing the truckers. So now any other protest, mass protest, that gets up to protest the government will be crushed. We've lost our right to protest in Canada. Scary? Fairly scary. Even scarier. The media has backed the Prime Minister and his party the whole way through. Now, there's a reason that the media has done this. It didn't come out of nowhere, the media, doing this. There is a reason that the media has backed the Prime Minister and his party for the entire time. About 10 years ago, the media, the mass media, this is the big companies, complained that, uh, that you know, newspaper sales were down and advertising sales were down. And that if the government didn't bail them out, this was during all the big bailouts, if the government didn't bail them out, they would have to close up. And there would be no media in, the, in, in Canada. All media would close up. Since the Canadian government has decided, that since they regulate media, and they, and they decided in the ultimate wisdom that two companies could own all media companies in the entire country, and that's essentially what it is today, since two companies own every single media outlet in the, in the country, they had no choice but to bail out the media. So for every year, so for for, for decade now, every year, they they spend about a billion dollars uh, giving subsidies to media companies. So, if media companies are being paid off by the government, billions of dollars over the course of years, media companies are being paid off by the government. How apt do you think the media companies are going to be? to criticize, to be critical of government. I don't think they will. Why would they jeopardize the money that they're getting? The government is buying their coverage. So if the government's buying their coverage, why would they change the, the way they think? Why would they do anything like that? They'd have to be crazy. And they're still crying, and they're still begging the government for more money, and more money, and more money. And the government's still dishing it out, and the government's dishing out our tax-paying dollars to the media companies, because they know that scandal after scandal, after scandal after scandal after scandal, and, and condemnation and co after condemnation and, and, um, and ethics violation after ethics violation, Trudeau will survive all these because the media will not make a big deal about them. There have been so many scandals and so many ethics violations in the Trudeau government that this man should have been thrown out of power years ago. Yet he keeps getting reelected because the media doesn't hold him accountable. And they don't hold him accountable because they pay them off very well. So th th that's really scary, too. So think about that for a moment. So no free media in Canada. Media, free media doesn't exist anymore. And no right to protest your government. 
So you've lost the right to protest your government. You lost your free media. And the government forced you. They forced you to put experimental drugs into your body. You didn't have the right to say no. I still get messages and emails and, and letters from from government agencies telling me, you have to go and get your 27th dose of, of the COVID vaccine. Really? I have to? I cannot choose not to put an experimental drug into my body? I can't make that choice? I have to? The, the emails are, are, are very clear. You must do this. And what if I don't do it? Will it eventually get to a point where the government will say, okay, just like the truckers, they'll say, okay, you are opposing our, 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 our ideals, you're opposing our value system, you're opposing our rules. Therefore, we must arrest you and, and force it into your body. Will that happen? I don't know. I, I hope not. But then again, I'm not a prophet. I can't tell you what's going to happen in the future. I can only tell you that we should be very scared at the way the government is behaving now. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. That's one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. Get in on the conversation here on the Howie Silver Show on the True Talk Radio Network. I uh, no no. I, I don't mean to be a. I don't mean to carry forth uh, scare tactics. I don't mean to 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 sound like a crazy conspiracy theorist. But but it's just a political analysis. This is this is what I I see is going on, and this is what scares me. Now, if it scares me, it might not scare you. You might you might think this is totally normal. But it's not. It's not totally normal. It's just like uh it's just like the four year battle to discredit Donald Trump that never ended. So so he became president of the United States in two thousand and sixteen. It's two thousand and twenty two, and there are still people who are hell bent on destroying Donald Trump. Why? He's not in power anymore. He hasn't been in power in two years, yet there are still people hell-bent on destroying him. I don't get it. I don't get the obsession. Why do we have to crush people? There was a time in, 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 in our lives, I mean, those of us who have a certain age, there were times in our lives, not that long ago, where you can have a political disagreement with somebody and not have to destroy them. You ever look up... Uh, you know, talk show hosts like Ben Shapiro on uh, on YouTube. And you see Ben Shapiro destroys uh, liberals or Ben Shapiro destroys this or Ben Shapiro destroys that. What, why does he have to destroy? Why can't he have a conversation? Why can't he express his point of view? Somebody expressed their point of view. They could argue it out and they could agree to disagree. See, I haven't heard that term in a long, long time. We'll have to agree to disagree. There used to be a term that was used all the time. Now it's not a term used at all. Now, I, my students tell me when I speak like this, they tell me, oh, you're an old fuddy-duddy. You, you, you're very an old man. And because you're so old, you, know, you, you have old values. This is not the way the world works today. But, but why? why? Why has the world descended to a point where we can't have normal conversation? That... that a talk show host could get onto a talk show and could express an opinion that part of the population disagrees with and they get canceled, thrown off the air for expressing that opinion. It's crazy. Last night I told you about uh, these internships that I was on and I told you about this, uh, this, this problem I had with the internships. 
where they threw me off for an article I had written 30 years ago. It's crazy. It's absolutely insane. But this is where we're at today. And I don't understand why we're there. I don't understand why this happens, but this is where we're at today. one 669 1292 is the number to call. one 669 1292 Get in on the conversation here on the Howie Silberger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. You could feel free to uh, to call in any time during the show. Don't don't be afraid to um, don't be afraid to uh, to interrupt me as I'm speaking. I, I don't mind being interrupted. In fact, I kind of enjoy talking to you. So feel free to call in one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. I'm um, I saw the phone was ringing a second ago, and I'm assuming that the uh, the phone lines work. So um, so yeah, give me a call one eight seven seven six six nine. One two nine two. If you just called and uh, and we didn't answer, give it a shot again. We'll we'll see if the phone lines work. As sometimes there's a problem with the phones that I don't know about until somebody calls in. But but in general, I'm 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 hoping the phones work and uh, and and there you go. Uh, I was um I told you about last night. I told you about the internships I was thrown out of because of an article I wrote years ago. <laughs> um, <clears throat> the article that I had written. Was a um, okay. I'm gonna have to take a little break. I'll be right back. This is uh, the Howie Silberger Show, right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Welcome to the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Get in on the conversation. Call one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. All right. Sometimes the uh, sometimes the frog gets into your throat, and that's basically what happens. But uh, I think I'm okay now. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. Um, I'm. I think we're having a little problem with the phone system. But if you try calling in, I'll try to get you on the air. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. It should work now. Uh, there was a there was a little issue. It should work now. Let's try it again. If you uh, if you call in now, it should work. Hopefully. Ah, there it is. Okay. Let's let's go to the phones. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two, and uh, who am I talking to? Hey, it's David. How are you? How are you doing? Hey, good. How are you doing, Dave? I'm doing well, thanks. What's on your mind? Well, look, you know, you were talking about free speech. Yeah. You know, what's incredible about free speech is, and it's it's amazing, and I I've seen it. Like like you, I also have a podcast, and it's either the attitude become it's either you're with me or you're against me. You're either on my side. And that's how it's phrased. Well, you're the enemy. It's a fascinating world we're in where, like, family and friends cannot have a conversation. You, you know, with, I think, and a lot of it has to do, I think, with this the social media platforms has given everybody the right to express themselves without opposition. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Social media has been the uh, bane of existence for a while now. It's been it's been really a terrible thing for society. They, they... But it goes further than that, Howie. I'll tell you. You know, um, take a look at YouTube. You know, you talked before about the vaccine. You know, we were banned on our show because we questioned. We didn't allege. We questioned something that Dr. Fauci had said, and YouTube shut us down for a week. 
I, I have so, I, this, this show here has two strikes on YouTube. They they gave me two strikes because uh, I spoke about masks on two different shows. Yeah, we did the same. We did the same thing. We yep. got but you know, it's not only that. It's we even questioned the Democratic Party. Oh, we got a nasty note. We're not allowed to question the Democratic Party. Huh. But when I quoted, when I asked them about their stance on anti-Semitism right, and, and about the fact that they permit on Facebook to have Ayatollahs and terrorists to have Facebook pages and all this anti-Semitism can run rampant. Nope, that's okay. It doesn't, it could, it's, it's okay. It doesn't, you know, you know, it doesn't work against their standards. And this is where it gives, empowers people. That's what I believe. I think we've, they, they've just gotten some power from the Facebooks and formerly Twitter and YouTube and Google and the rest. You know, and if you disconnect from uh, from from social media, David, you can't really do media today anymore. So, so well, I, I I disconnected for three years from Facebook, three years because uh, I was absolutely harassed, and I complained to Facebook about the harassment I was getting because at the time I was questioning, you know, the validity of the Palestinian cause, and I got ripped apart on Facebook. Right. I went on for three years, but you could feel the pain when you're not on social media yeah and you feel like you're out of the loop too so that's the part of the uh it's part of the design of social media i remember seeing an interview with uh with the guy who founded napster i don't remember his name offhand but the guy who founded napster was also one of the founders of facebook and uh he gave an interview maybe five or six years ago where he uh the name just escapes me at the moment it'll come back to me but i just don't remember the name at the moment and he said that you know when they were designing facebook they were trying to figure out how to get people addicted to it. And, and that, that was put into design. And they hired an addiction specialist to come in and tell them what they had to put into Facebook to, to create this addiction. And, uh, and they found that two things on Facebook are the most addictive things, and this is what it is. Uh, the like button, so, so you know people, people competing for likes, and that little red flag that comes up when you have a message or a notification. So, so they said, you know, somebody will come onto Facebook and they'll look and they, they, they won't find anything interesting. You'll scroll for a few minutes. You won't find anything interesting. You want to go. And, and their algorithm is actually programmed that if you want to go, if, you're, you know, if they see that you're just scrolling and scrolling and not stopping and looking at anything, you'll get a notification. So sometimes you get like these useless notifications saying, uh, don't forget that, uh, that John is, uh, is on Facebook. You might know him. So, you know, you might want to be friends with him or, or some stupid notification like that. But when that red light comes on, it stops you from clicking off. It's a psychological thing. Yep. And, 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 I, and I think that we've created a, a, a false sense of, of reality. First of all, how about the word sure. friends on Facebook? Yeah. So we're talking about the greatest misnomer. You know, we've really ruined children, you know, uh, because we taught, we called, everybody suddenly a friend. No. I disagree with it wholeheartedly, but, you know, Kudos to Facebook for, for using that word and now twisting it in such a way that our children have no understanding what a friend really is. It's true. It's true. And uh, and you know, I, I don't know if there's a statistic for this. I have to look it up. I, I, I never looked it up. But is there a statistic for how many how many children uh, committed suicide when they realized that, you know, their 3,000 friends on Facebook aren't really friends? There's, there's, it's, it's even worse with social media, and I know we're diverting a little bit from the topic, but, you know, I, you and I are not that far off in age. No. And 
when we were kids, if we weren't invited to some sort of event or party or whatever, we didn't know about that until we got to school on Monday. Now, a child not only knows that they were not invited, but everybody else knows. And And every child is afraid now, or almost every child is afraid, of missing out on something. And we've created this, you know, this, 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 this ridiculous amount of anxiety in children, all thanks to this notion of instant gratification, the instant need to know, and it's all perpetuated on social media. And social media and um, and cell phones, believe it or not, smartphones. Oh, yeah. You know, you know, there was, there was a time there was a time that you could actually be, you know, busy and and not have to answer your phone or answer a text or answer or answer an email. You know, there was a time when you were able to leave work and then, you know, not be at work, right? Right, right. But, you know, you as a teacher, and you teach, you know, you said elementary, high school, and what have you, and I teach the class at McGill, and I want to tell you something. It is incredible to watch how these children's eyes are constantly glued to a cell phone, wondering what's next. I remember the first high school I uh, worked at, uh, I used to go down to the lunchroom. And uh, at lunchtime, I'd, 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 I'd watch the students in the lunchroom. It was a high school. And, and kids would sit across the table from each other. And instead of talking, they'd be texting each other across the table. And I always found that fascinating. Why would you be texting somebody that you could just look up and say hi? It, it just I seemed weird to like me. That. I used to take my kids to school and, you know, and a bunch of other kids. And the five of them would be in the van. And I would hear no no voices, and I'd be looking at the rear of the mirror, and they're all looking at their phones. Wow. And the funny thing was they were telling me, and I found out later on, that they not only were they communicating between themselves on the phone, but with other people, too. So it's like they couldn't have a conversation. They didn't want to talk. It was like, like, what guys, what happened to talking? What happened to playing in the schoolyard? What happened to, you know, interacting? No? No, Kendra? It's really, it's really scary, and it's only gonna get worse as cell phones get bigger and better, and uh, and technology go, you know, moves forward. It's only gonna get worse. Interpersonal relationships are disappearing very quickly. I spent uh, the day at a cybersecurity conference, and you know, now we have a we have a ministry here in Quebec for cybersecurity. And one of the comments that came out of uh, the minister was that this is the first generation. That, that cannot remember a day without technology, That's true. That's and crazy. we have no idea the impact that we're that this is going to have on this generation. Those were his words. And what about the next generation? Because as we go, it's only going to get better and better and and different. So interpersonal skills are disappearing. You see, kids, oh. if you, if you take their phones away, you see the temper tantrums, and you see the um, and you see. You see, you, you see the actual pain in their faces that they don't have their phones. And look, and, and, and is there any wonder now? I mean, the last two years of COVID, we've, we've all worked from home. We've had school from home. Yeah. And you hear that 97%, that's a statistic I heard today, 97% of employees do not want to go back to work physically. They don't want to go back to the office. They want to work from home. Yeah, what's interesting is that, that, that businesses are going to agree to do this. But when we look back about seven years ago, Yahoo fired their uh, CEO, and they hired a, 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 new, a CEO from Hewlett-Packard. So the Yahoo CEO was, was ousted, and the Hewlett-Packard CEO came in. Um, she left Hewlett-Packard, and she, came to, she went to Yahoo. 
And uh, when she went to Yahoo, she decided that she was going to uh, close their, their headquarters and have all the employees that were working at their headquarters work from home, work remotely. Uh, the reason for that, she thought that productivity would be better if they were in their own environment and they were able to live their lives. And she wanted to give them their lives back and uh, they should want them in the office 80 hours a day, so 80 hours a week. So go, go home and you'll work from home as long as you hit your benchmarks, um, then, then we're fine. Uh, and, and and people went home, and it didn't take more than a year or two before they uh, before they threw her out and reopened the headquarters and brought everyone back because productivity just dropped almost nothing. So so it's it's, it's quite interesting that uh, that we're going back to that, even though it's been a, a model's been proven that doesn't work. So uh, I, you, I don't know. But when you have a whole society now that got used to technology, this is what we were talking about, not only for social but for work, productivity, you name it. We don't even remember what it's like to work in an office. We were joking today about, do you remember what it was like to go to the office and you met a bunch of people at the water cooler or at the, or at the coffee pot and you struck up a conversation which was led to some sort of creative thought with some sort of idea and whatever? You can't do that when you're sitting at home. Yeah, it's true. You can't interact with people and socialize with people and get to, you know, how do you trust the people that you're working with and befriend the people? I mean, I'm not saying befriend, but I'm saying, you know, you, you have a relationship with people. How do you do that staring at a screen? You, you can't. <laughs> you definitely can't. And even Zoom, even if you're Zooming with them and you're chatting with them and you're you're talking to them, it's not the same as being in person. Uh, you know, going out for a cup of coffee or, 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 or talking to water cooler is a lot different than uh, than having a five-minute or an hour Zoom at Zoom session. Where you're half paying attention to the screen and half like you know watching TV, right? I I, I think we've we've lost our minds, and I think that technology and you know you go back to the beginning of this conversation. What it's done is this technology has empowered us in some very strange ways, and it's screwed up our value system in some ways. And I think that we're gonna have a very hard time going back. Well, I wouldn't say it screwed up our value system. I say it would it, it decimated our value system. It destroyed. Morality in the world, for sure, was destroyed with the advent of the internet, and uh, and uh, I think the value system was just dropped. I don't think it exists anymore. I don't think it screwed it up. I, I don't think there is a value system anymore. Uh, Howie, I hope we can figure out a way to fix it somehow going forward. But I'm not very optimistic. Howie, it's a pleasure talking to you. I love the show. Keep it up, man. Thank Have you, David. Night. And 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 don't forget to tune into David's show. It airs here on True Talk Radio too. Uh, the Rant Network, and uh, feel free to uh, tune into that, too. Just check the schedule it airs, uh, every day, right here on True Talk Radio. Thanks, David. Thank you, Thank you Howie. Take care. You too. Alright, so we're just about out of time for uh, for the Howie Silberger Show right here tonight. Uh, thank you all for joining me. Uh, I'll be back in about an hour with Political Hitman. Uh, that airs on Israel News Talk Radio. Uh, it'll be on between t- midnight and 1 a.m. Uh, with Political Hitman. Uh, where we talk, uh, we talk about a lot of stuff, and it's also a live call-in show. It airs, uh, it airs on all these social media st- uh, networks. It airs on the True Talk Radio network, and of course, it airs in Israel. So until then, I wish you a good night. Thank you so much for joining me.